0: Welcome to the Meta Business Podcast. The Metaverse and Web3 are bringing about the biggest revolution since the internet itself. With your hosts, Paul the Prophet Dawalibi
1: and Jeff the Juice Cohen, we will be bringing you the latest Metaverse business news and insight into what it all means. The Meta Business Podcast starts now.
0: From the boardroom to the Metaverse, this is the Meta Business Podcast. I am Paul the Prophet Dawalibi. I'm joined today by my friend and co-host, Jeff the Juice Cohen. For those of you who are new here, welcome to the official podcast of the metaverse. What we do is we cover the most pressing metaverse topics and news of the week, but we look at all of it through a business and C-suite lens. We dissect, we analyze the business implications of everything happening in this very exciting industry. Uh, For our regular listeners, thank you guys for tuning tuning in every week. I've seen many of you have left reviews on our podcast. If you haven't done that already and you're a regular listener, go leave a review let everyone else know how much you love the podcast. It's how other people find this on Apple podcasts or Spotify or Google play or wherever you get this and make sure to send an episode or two to a friend, a colleague, a coworker, whoever, um, spread the word, let them know how much you're enjoying the meta business podcast. Jeff, how are you doing this week?
1: Good. Good. Uh, busy week as always. I feel like I haven't talked to you as much as, uh, Maybe maybe normal, but you know the show show must go on here. The show (laughs) must go on, regardless of where you are in the world. You know the show show must go on.
0: Um, It has been an interesting week, I will say. You know, I I get this feeling like every episode we're peaking, right? Like we're hitting new peaks. I will say the last week's episode I thought was our best. If you haven't listened to that, if you haven't tuned into that one, go check it out. It would be episode seventeen. I really enjoyed it, and I think we should start Jeff with. A bit of a, um, I I don't know, like I don't want to like a little bit of a throwback to last week's episode because we talked about Yuga Labs and the Bored Ape Yacht Club, obviously in that episode, buying Crypto Punks. Uh, But this week we had, I think, an equally big and important story coming out of Bored Ape Yacht Club. That's a mouthful to say fast. Um, and, and I'll, I'll bring up this first story here, Bored Ape Yacht Club creator raises 450 million to build an NFT metaverse. So we had discussed that their pitch deck had leaked last week, right? And people were sort of dissecting it and it was interesting, but now we get all the details. So they've raised 450 million. Obviously they're, we know they're buying crypto pugs and it values Yuga Labs at $4 billion. Um, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. It's a good update to sort of the story from last week and to encourage you guys to go listen to last week's episode. But any thoughts on valuation here, size of the raise? Uh... No,
1: I mean, I think we covered a lot of that last week where on the surface, it, it sounds like a lot, but I think we were both pretty impressed with, um, you know, some of the numbers that were in that deck. So, you know, neither of us thought the $4 billion was was that outrageous. Um, obviously, good on them now kind of getting that to the tape. The, the the other thing that was interesting, I think they did a, a drop right, like a token drop. I don't know if you were if you were seeing that the, this ape token. Yes. Yes, but only
0: to owners. I think yes. The, a, the priority was to owners of uh, yeah. So basically,
1: you know, the way I understand it, right, is if you would owned an ape, you you basically got dropped these tokens, which had a significant amount of value. So yep. pretty cool, you know, that the the early members of the community were were rewarded for that. Um, you know, buying in early and, and got got big allocations of those tokens.
0: Look, I, I I've been privy to the deck. I went through it, um, and and it's you know there's definitely impressive things in there. You know, they did they did 137 million in revenue last year selling JPEGs. Like, let's can can we call a spade a spade, right? Like selling art, which is phenomenal, right? At at huge kind of margins. Um, so it's hard to, it's hard to knock the $4 billion valuation. It's hard to poke holes in this. I think the one area where I'm, I worry about this is they, they, a big part of their deck is this metaverse project, right? This game they're building, uh, it's an MMORPG like world of Warcraft style, obviously not in that universe, but, uh, it's a game, right? And a lot of this valuation, I feel like and a lot of the future of this business hinges on this game being a success. And what scares me, and this is my, this is not a Yuga Lab specific comment, this is a industry-wide general comment. Everyone sort of makes the assumption that building a hugely successful game is just sort of easy, right? Like we just have to say we're making a game and the game will be fun and successful. As if that's not like, incredibly incredibly hard and you know like most other forms of entertainment right for every one game that's for every Fortnite or wow or any of these huge successes there's a thousand games that are made that no one ever plays Mm -hmm. um i worry that so much of this valuation and so much of this company's future really is hinging on the success of this game
1: well, it's an interesting point. I mean, that's something I was actually going to ask you and maybe you you sort of already preempted that with the answer. But do you think the investors investing in this are looking at Yuga as a gaming company, a media company, an IP sort of just brand or I guess a tech company? Like what what's the core advantage that they have?
0: I can tell you their deck really opens with none of those words. It opens with, we're all about culture, right? So it's a culture company. It's a i meaning like it, it, it's Go changing brand. culture, it's changing society yeah. and you know, like the, they're tapping into sort of this, this cultural shift and you know, th- there's a lot of like that at the heart of it. I think reading between the lines, cause they never actually explicitly say it almost this, this company's future really is as a gaming company, right? It just so happened. It will just so happen to have this foundation of NFTs and blockchain and, and those kinds of things, but I think all of their success they're really hinging on this game. So hard to not call them a gaming company. Now, are they that today? Obviously not, right? Today it's more. I don't know what you would call it today. To be honest, it's it's a it's a it's closer to an art gallery than a than any other business, really. Yeah. So uh, we'll see. I, I don't know. I, I'm not. I I have seen nothing about the game, right? Obviously, hard to make judgment but i suspect they're going to find it's harder especially the category of game you know we we host the business of esports podcast also which we spend all our time talking about gaming mmorpgs like the universe is littered with mmorpg failures um even new world right didn't work and that had amazon behind it and a ton of hype early on um that is a really really phenomenally difficult genre to go after but if they succeed, 4 billion is going to seem like a, like a, like small, like peanuts, right? Like
1: mm-hmm.
0: the, the sky's the limit if they do succeed. So I get, I get the bet. All right. Let's, um, let's move on. Let's talk about, uh, and this has come up. I think we've had some interesting conversations around this. So it's good that you put this story in here to to touch on, um, the headline here inside plan, for utopian metaverse city that will have almost no rules or police. So an architecture firm has plans to design a metaverse centering around self-governance. Zaha Hadid Architects, one of the world's most prominent architecture firms has shared plans to develop a utopian digital world. According to a new report by CNN, Um, several illustrations of the futuristic and urban metaverse, which by the way, if you're watching this, you can see them on screen. If you're listening, I'm sorry. Um, Designated Liberland, I think that's how you pronounce it, were also shared by Zaha Hadid architects. Curved buildings, a city hall, collaborative working spaces, shops, and business incubators can be found throughout the virtual platform. Perhaps most notably, it says, the architecture firm's digital community will focus on self-governing ideals based on Liberland, a micronation founded in 2015 by Czech politician Vit Jedlika. It says, if you start off with a clean environment and you don't throw garbage around, that can be maintained without much policing, Zaha Hadid Architects, Principal Architect Patrick Schumacher told CNN. So, you know, we, you and I have had this discussion. Should, should the metaverse be sort of like um, uh, international, waters? international waters, anything goes, right? And it feels like that's the direction this is taking. I think there's also another interesting conversation here around architecture firms getting involved in the design of metaverse or the metaverse very or
1: metaverse at that i mean they're True. incredibly well known
0: um so curious to get your thoughts on both of those
1: well the first one is i mean well, the second one is i guess we can kind of hit that one first a little bit yeah it it's interesting right i i think you know it's probably to be expected we've always said you know every every business is eventually going to have to shift or have some focus into the metaverse so it may, it makes all the sense in the world that a firm like Zaha Hadid, who their buildings in real life are, are pretty impressive architectural feats like they're each always like very unique and like they're not just like cookie cutter buildings. I know there's a bunch of them in in New York City uh, where you know obviously we both live so yeah it's pretty, it's pretty cool to bring bring kind of that real world architectural experience to the Metaverse to build some of these cool unique structures there. I'm not sure I understand the thread between what you know that firm, Bring this whole libertarian, no police ideal, uh, which is interesting. I mean, I don't know from a legal perspective how that will work, because obviously it's one thing to say, hey, there will be no laws in the metaverse. And I guess the question is like, when we talk about policing, is it like, hey, you do something in the metaverse? Like, let's say I go and kill someone in the metaverse, like a digital avatar, like, yeah. Technically, that's not illegal. When you kill someone yeah. in Grand Theft Auto, you don't. The police don't come to your house and like <laughs> yeah. kill it and then put you in jail. Having said that, you know, then there are the questions of okay, what if I steal your money, right? What if it's real money, you know, money that's yep. in the metaverse, but it can have, it obviously has a, a fiat, um, you know, element where you can transfer it to fiat. If I steal your money in the metaverse, should there be a metaverse police? Should there be this wild west where there's no laws? Or is, you know, law enforcement going to come and say, Hey, you stole a hundred thousand dollars from, from the profit. Like now you're going to jail. Like, I, I don't know where I fall on that. I'm curious to start where you fall. On that.
0: I, you said something I wanted to just key in before I answer that, which I think I hadn't thought of, but when you said it, I was like, yeah, you're right. Like what's the connection here between the architecture firm and this <laughs> idea of like a totally lawless metaverse? Yeah. Um seems weird and and then it got me thinking like why do we need traditional architecture firms in the metaverse anyways right like one of the things architects do is you know that they work with engineers they'll they'll come up with a a design a shape right but they want to make sure that the building will stay standing right if you make a huge dome like that it's supported properly right it's all these kind of building considerations none of which apply in the metaverse right like almost none of the skill set other than the creativity involved with architecture um literally nothing applies in the metaverse so i would argue we don't really need real world architects operating in the metaverse if anything the experience of a real world architect may limit what we do in the metaverse because you're sort of you're rooted in these ideas of physical, you know, metal and concrete and glass. Um, So I thought that part was weird, but then I agree. It was also weird that like, why, why, why are they saying it has to be lawless? Like what is the, what are the, what does the architect care about um, how this metaverse is policed? My, my stance on this, I think continues to be, it has to be, It has to be a completely open space. Now you're right. You bring up this idea of theft, right? But to that to me is no different than if you play a game, right? If I play, wow, let's say, and there's a bug that crashes my computer. I go to the developer of wow. And I say, Hey, this bug's crashing my computer. Give me customer support, right? It's not Mm a, I don't, I don't like, I'm not looking for the police to rectify the issue and you're right, stealing real like in-game currency that maybe has a, like if, if someone trades me something in WoW and I pay way more for it because he tricks me than what it's worth, like should I, should he go to jail for that crime? It, feel, it feels weird to connect virtual worlds and real worlds from a criminal sense. But I do think there has to be some kind of recourse to solve problems like that with the developers and owners call it of these metaverses. like I don't think yep. it should just be, well, you know, sorry, like screw you, you lost your money. There has to be some recourse, but I don't think it should involve any kind of policing and definitely not real world police
1: yeah, I guess it I guess it depends what what lines you're you're crossing. you know, I could think of scenarios that you know where issues occur in the real world based on interactions in the the metaverse um you know obviously that that then becomes different but you know the examples you said yeah i don't think we're going to see a world where you're going to be bringing in like the sec to enforce you know transactions that occur in the metaverse having said that I, i i am sure that as more and more of commerce and just the economy moves into the digital world you're going to have these agencies and Maybe there'll be some sort of metaverse enforcement agency, you know, that that different countries will have. And, you know, based on where the player is, like where the player's physical body is, there will be an enforcement agency that, that kind of oversees behavior and, and activity in the metaverse. Right. I mean, you wouldn't have thought that for social media, but you know, you, you do kind of have that. Not. So we don't have that for social media. No, but you, we do, you know, there are rules and laws and like, hate speech and crime, like, you know, there are things you can say on the internet that but can get controlled the by
0: the platforms.
1: True. Fair. That's a fair point.
0: Right. Like, it's it's is not like, like the police, if I, if I go and say something horrible on Twitter, right. There's no police that's going to show up at my door. I may Plus, get canceled. You first, I may, you know, you, you know, like the first
1: amendment here in the, you know, in the U S but if you did that in a different country, you, you might actually, <laughs> true, get
0: <the> police. True. <laughs> <laughs> um, This is why I think there, there can't be right. Like I, I think it's a slippery slope of trying to figure out too many scenarios. And I think we're just better off by saying it's open, right? Like if, if, if I steal your money in the metaverse, you can go and complain to whoever the developer is. Right. But if you come kill me in real life, because you're so pissed as a consequence, like we've solved for that, right? Like real police will then get involved. There was no, like, there's no requirement to police the metaverse in that sense. There's a real, real life crime. I, I could see that, but, um, I don't know, may, maybe we just, uh, it's hard to sort of think through every possible future scenario when you don't really know how it's all necessarily going I to play say, out.
1: To preface this next story that you're about to pull up, I mean, the, this one, does. and I'll let you do the, your preamble, but this one does bring up an interesting scenario that I actually had never thought of. But when I read it, I was like, wow, that actually could happen
0: and it makes a decent amount of sense so uh, let me introduce the story it says here which is i think it's interesting connected to the last one obviously it says the metaverse may bring new cyber risks here's what companies can do and and it says here the metaverse has drawn there's three bullet points the metaverse has drawn hype in recent months with companies like meta and ralph lauren rushing to get their foot in its virtual door but cyber crime in the real world is already becoming more rampant uh checkpoint a cybersecurity firm reported a 50 increase in overall attacks per week. On corporate networks last year, compared with 2020, as businesses rush to plant their flag in the metaverse, not all may realize the full dangers of this new world. Um, and and they start with you want me to read this example in the beginning because I think that was I think the, it's worth
1: watching. Yeah, but I actually thought it was pretty cool. So it says here it
0: starts. It says imagine discussing a confidential multi-million dollar deal with your boss. The conversation ends, and you both leave a while later you both meet again and you bring up your earlier conversation but your boss has absolutely no recollection of the deal what just happened in the metaverse this might mean you were the victim of a hacked avatar or deep fake said prabhu ram head of the industry intelligence group at cybermedia research deep fakes refer to manipulated digital figures that look or sound like someone else so it is an interesting example here right it's it's it comes down to identity security right where because you know, you don't see me. <laughs> you see some digital avatar that anyone could sort of be behind it and faking me. Um, that, you know, people faking me in the metaverse may try and do nefarious things. Um, do you see this as a real risk, Jeff? Or is this a little overblown and a little bit like, um, you know, scare tactics for a headline?
1: I think it actually is, and that's scenario I mean, certainly if we're talking about enterprise, you know enterprises moving into the metaverse and if you you're going to have a confidential meeting, you know in, in a boardroom like where you're discussing quarterly results or something like that, yeah, I mean, like if you don't know who's there, ah uh, that's that's a huge enterprise level security risk, right? like let's say you know and and this is something that's common, you know, you see it enterprises have to deal with this now with zoom and and different conferencing technology. but imagine if you were talking about a confidential deal and the, the telephone dial-in number was public and you didn't know who was online because they're not talking, but they happen to be dialed in and you're, you know, either listening or blah, blah, blah or they're talking and you know they're using some voice emulator that sounds like someone on the you that you know. It it is it is a risk. Um, you know, it's the same risk we see right now with maybe social media, stuff like that. Like anyone can go online, create a fake profile on LinkedIn and reach out to people and you, you see it a lot. Like people get tricked, not knowing who they're necessarily speaking to, because it's not that hard to create a semi credible LinkedIn profile or email address with one letter off or something like that. So it is a risk. It's not an unmanageable risk, but it is it is probably something as enterprises are thinking about coming into the metaverse, uh, something they have to they have to consider. Uh, but we need to agree on the blockchain That's- technology. But yeah, it's it's definitely something that will have to happen.
0: I mean, wouldn't you agree, though, that the metaverse in some ways, because it increases the complexity required to fake an identity in some ways, probably reduces the overall number of these kinds of cyber crimes? Like, and I'll just give you a real example, right? Like when email, the Internet first came out, it would have been phenomenally easy to spoof someone's email address, right? Or make it look like an email was coming from someone else, Um because it's not it's just text on a screen, it's not that technically difficult, right? You just change the header in the in the you know the the email and and you can sort of fake the where the email's coming from. Whereas like with the metaverse, while technology has gotten better, doing a great deep fake, whether it's emulating voice, emulating a, a face, right, in real time, requires a certain amount of computational complexity and AI and all kinds of tools, right? Like it's doable, but I find the complexity to commit these crimes is is increasing. It's not decreasing.
1: That's fair. I think it depends what you're comparing it to. I, I think you know if you're comparing it to email, absolutely 100% agree with you. There, they're, You know, obviously, this example, this article is written with, with a purpose, like you said at the outset, uh, a bias, if you will. Um, but if you're comparing it to um, in-person meeting, of course, it's it's less.
0: True. I mean, I think in-person meetings, I was going to be the most secure. Um, I just, I find some of these articles, like when they say 50% increase in overall attacks per week, like was it one and it went to one and a half, you know, like, <laughs> right. Like w- w- the, the percentage increase isn't really telling. And so heart, like my gut tells me there's not a real serious risk here. And the solutions are sort of simple, right? Like it's not that hard to have some kind of even like biometric on the human end on the real life end. And then a badge, you know, that's impossible to fake because it's on the blockchain, whatever in the metaverse that says this, this is who I am, right? Like I, I, all of these problems I think are solvable. It is interesting to think though, that there will be an entirely sort of new set of cybersecurity products, companies, etc., that have to tackle them. Yeah, um, I
1: think that last part is the key. I, I didn't take the article to read, like, oh my God, this the metaverse won't work because of this insurmountable problem. It's more like this firm trying to get a, be one of the thought leaders of figuring out what those solutions are. And you just identified two pretty pretty darn good ones. Um, but that there will be a whole industry of these kind of same way when the internet and when computers came up, you you started having cybersecurity kind of 1.0, now you have 2.0
0: metaverse or 3.0 if they want to stay consistent with the (laughs) (laughs) um let's talk about ftx ftx in the news uh this week jeff and this one uh the headline here ftx announces support for web3 gaming begins in-house nft game development uh sam bankman fried who's the founder and ceo of ftx announced ftx's entry into web3 gaming through the acquisition of good luck games the ftx the FTX CEO revealed that the in-house developers would build a white label package for the exchange uh, FTT price attempts, recovery in response to the key development in the FTX ecosystem. So um, here's what I, I want to focus on though. I think unless you have some other ideas on this is the tweets that Sam put out, which I think are extremely telling where he announced this and I'll just read some of them. I have them up here, but I'll read some of them. he says, FTX is really excited to support Web3 Gaming, but we have a very specific approach. Support great games. Too many times our ecosystem has tried to build out NFT-enabled games, but forgotten the first step, which is to build a great game. And just as importantly, Web3 should make a game better, not neutral or worse. If integrating crypto hurts a game, we don't want to do it. We're excited to support a number of our gaming partners with a full Web3 Suite. We also want to have an in-house case to develop our white label package. But the single most important thing about that in-house game is again, that it's a great game. Now he goes on to talk about how they love the team and, you know, some of the other reasons why they're so excited about this um, and that they play the game, um, which is, is doubly interesting. Uh, but look, I can't help, but like the profit was right. You know, one of those moments when we put up all the graphics well, you no, know, I got so there's much. There's two
1: credit. explanations here: either the prophet was right, or Sam is listening to the podcast. So, you know.
0: of course, Sam was listening to the <laughs> podcast. Of course, he got this idea from the Meta Business Podcast. Uh, and and and, but I got a lot of hate. I'm telling you, a lot of hate for the comments I made at the the Play to Earn uh, Crowd Create Conference thing I did, where I said everyone's lost track of what's important here which is making a great game. And Sam, I consider a genius. Obviously he has built maybe the most incredible company in the entire crypto industry. Um, how like it, it's impossible to disagree with this approach, right? But it feels novel.
1: Well, you know, I'm Mr. Devil's advocate, but here I don't, I, we've, this has been our mantra sort of all since we started this podcast and started talking about play to earn. And I don't think, I know you said you got a lot of hate, but I don't think it's a, super hot take like i think the, the industry is starting to recognize that some of the early iterations of these games weren't fun and it was always hey the, the fun games are coming so i think that sam is absolutely right profit was of course also absolutely right and i don't have too much to add because i think I, we're fully in agreement here it, it has to start with the games and it, it becomes a mechanic nobody would ever say hey i want to create an in-game purchase game like no, no no you have a game it's fun and then there's in-game purchases <laughs> like that's it's a monetization metric, not
0: the game. But he says a couple of things that I think you're, you're right. I think maybe people are coming around to the idea that good games are around the corner, which I don't know. Right. They may be. Um, But he says something that I think most of the crypto world misses, which is, he says web three should make a game better, not neutral or worse. And I will, I will extend his comment one step further. And it's, it, we have to communicate to gamers how it makes it better it, like if we can't explain how this makes it better in some very real way for that gamer no one's going to care right and the, the 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 masses of gamers that everyone wants to pick up in the crypto world well, none of them will care and so i think it's it's a level of insight i haven't seen from anyone else yet um and, and to say, get the CEO of a big crypto company saying, if integrating crypto hurts the game, we won't do it, right? Like, that's an interesting take because he could have said, look, if integrating crypto makes us a ton more money, we'll do it. Even if it hurts the game a little bit, right? Which is the position of just about everyone else in the industry. Um, so I thought this was really refreshing as a take. And uh, it'll be interesting to see in my mind, Jeff, what they do with, you know, with, with a game development studio in-house and how they manage to build that while also trying to push
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, the adoption of digital assets, which is their whole mantra.
1: Do you, do you think this is part of a bigger strategy to bring a lot more in-house? Because I know they're building the white label product. They, they've hired a bunch of people in gaming, so obviously they, they have a bigger strategy here, but I guess I hadn't been aware previously that it was going to be to bring a bunch of development teams in house. So do you think, do you think fast forward 18 months from now, we're going to see FTX be as big of a brand in gaming as, as Zynga. And that's obviously a little bit hyperbole, but are they going to have 10 different teams building 15, 20 games?
0: I don't know if it's the numbers 15 or 20, but I definitely would get behind and we'll probably put money on betting that we see at least another two kind of bets, whether it's an investment or an acquisition. Um, when you're at the scale of an FTX, right? Like you can't go timid or go like small scale. I think the, the interesting part of this play is there's clear conviction around gaming and how it, it integrates with their core crypto business. I wouldn't be surprised if FTX over time, you know, puts a billion dollars more into gaming. Um, that, that would not shock me. And I think that it's also just smart, and it's going to increase the competition for game developers, which is an already like superheated market. Which I think is interesting. We need to start a game development studio. I think we're,
1: we're a year too late. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: um, I just I want to end on on um, one last very quick uh, story here, which we'll spend two seconds on, and and it's another game developer, which I think is interesting. Game Fam raises twenty five million to build games for Roblox. And I have just one quick question for you here. Obviously we're big fans of Roblox from a metaverse perspective. I think they're ahead of the curve of just about anyone else, but is that a lot of money when you're building for only one platform, Jeff? Like, is that how big is the risk when you're so tied to the success of just one platform who future is bright, but it's definitely not certain.
1: It it is a risk. I mean, and it's a risk in a couple of different ways. I mean, one the the rev share on Roblox is actually super low relative. So actually, it's funny people all the developers complain about the thirty percent rev share on uh, on Apple and, and 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 Google. It's actually uh, Roblox takes seventy percent of revenue, so it's literally <laughs> flip, um, which is you know kind of mind blowing if you think about. Where's it. Where's Tim Sweeney? To, yeah, that they're able to get away with that. I guess it's because most of the developers on there are, are UGC and, and small creators. So they, they probably don't even necessarily realize and certainly can't, can't bargain. That I imagine that number will start to shift um, because Roblox is incentivized to bring more creators on. They've talked about that. So I would maybe that number shifts over time, but big rev share take. It's also still limited in terms of geography and age. Right, So you're you're developing for a very limited demographic. and I know Roblox has made massive steps towards trying to expand both those things, but it, it's still been a challenge for them. so you're, you''re you're kind of limited there. And then the last thing, and probably the most important as we're thinking about sort of the professionalization of UGC platforms, which I think is actually a pretty cool trend and I'm a, a big fan of the guys at Gamefam and, and actually we know some of their investors. Convoy was the lead investor, which we're we're big fans of them. Um, but discoverability is is a big issue for these platforms. There's no real way to to advertise very well and do publishing on the platform. So I'm sure you know that's something they're they're doing in other places. But there's no like great app store optimization or advertising like there is uh, with with Apple and Google for Roblox.
0: Yeah, I think this is great for Game Fam. I think it's exciting when you get a big raise like this in the industry in general. I think the investors here are not going to make a good return and I probably not anywhere near what they think they're going to make just because look, like the numbers are what they are. $25 million raise means the business at least worth a hundred million. If you're a VC fund, you need to have at least a billion dollar exit, right? I mean, that's what you need to believe you can get to. I just don't see how you build a billion dollar game development studio just on Roblox today. Now. Well,
1: that's a great question. I mean, that be do, radically do different, because that that is a good question. Like, how big does Roblox have to get? Because I could, I guarantee you, there were probably people saying that about mobile. You know, ten years yeah. ago. Hey, mobile. Probably. There's only this many gamers. There's only this many clones. like. And I don't know what the adoption curve needs to look like, and what the the map and the model kind of shows. But I, I suspect there will be a billion dollar company built that builds you know, is, is be sort of the Zynga for Roblox. Like I, I bet there will, will be game fam? I have no idea, but I I mean, you're I, bullish on Roblox. I know that. So you probably should believe.
0: It. I'm very bullish on Roblox, but I don't think, I don't think other people can just hitch. It's like, it's like saying, why haven't we seen even take an even bigger example than in more traditional media, right? Have we seen a billion dollar media company built just on YouTube? No, no. There's With media me. companies that are that big, that put their stuff on YouTube, but among other places. Right. And there are, there are influencers and creators on YouTube who are who make good living, right? Maybe even great living or maybe 50, hundred million dollar businesses, but multi-billion dollar scale where you're, you're sort of locked into just one platform and, and YouTube's what 10 X the size of a, of a Roblox right now. Right. Like, uh, it feels like a large hurdle and I I worry that maybe the investors didn't think that one through. I, I don't know. It, it It's a lot of sexiness, right? And Roblox growth has been uh, tremendously good. Um, and maybe it's just a 10-year play, right? Like Jeff, I think you could probably convince me if you're saying, yeah, in 10 years when Roblox is at half a billion users, could we see that? You're right. Like maybe someone was saying this 10 years ago about mobile. So. I can buy maybe the longer term story. I don't know if I buy sort of the, Hey, the venture fund that's in here needs an exit within two or three years that I'm a little more concerned if we're, if we're shortening sort of the time, the time period, um, man, that time flew by Jeff. That brings us to the end of this week's podcast. Um, I just want to remind everyone, go leave a five-star rating and review guys on the podcast, send it to a friend, a colleague, a coworker, Share the podcast with everyone you know who's interested in gaming, interested in the metaverse, interested in crypto, um, all the topics we cover on this show. Jeff, thank you as always. To our audience, thank you guys for tuning in every week. And don't forget, the future is fun. We'll see you guys next week.
1: Thanks for joining us here on Meta Business. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast everywhere you get your podcasts. Leave a five-star review and tell your friends, family, and colleagues all about us. Also, make sure to follow MetaTV on all socials to get more of the best metaverse content anywhere. Tune in every week for another episode of Meta Business.